Hey guys, and welcome back to the Evolution of Confidence. I am here with my guest, Kira. She is the master of mastering burnout, mastering delegation, and getting your life back when you are super busy. I know a lot of us struggle with that, and we have such difficult time. Like, you know, it's one thing to know that you should delegate things, and it's another thing to actually do it and put it into action and get the confidence to do that. So that's what we're going to learn today with Kira. So Kira, if you can introduce yourself and tell the audience what you're going to talk about today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I'm Kira LaForgia. My company, Paradigm Consulting, helps female entrepreneurs, but also, you know, we don't, you know, definitely don't discriminate. Um, but I help female entrepreneurs scale their businesses, whether they're in person or remote teams or some combination of both, which tends to be the case these days. Um, and my whole story just kind of starts with working in small business and corporate for over 10 years in either sales, different sales positions or operations positions that evolved into HR. So our special sauce for building organizational structures is through compliant HR driven and legal organizational structures. So actually putting your people in the right roles and making sure that it's done the right way so that you avoid all that trouble that comes with not being a fair employer. Um, but yeah, in short, I suffered from burnout from working too much in a job that now is six different people. And I still work for that company. I'm the COO there. And now there's a team of six managers and directors that were doing a job that I was doing on my own for seven years. And I basically had like a complete and total mental breakdown, literally, like not like you know, just saying like, oh, I'm having a mental breakdown today, but like an right. actual one that had to have medication and like called my mom. She had to drive, but she's like, I had so it's like a different element. Um, had to like calm me down. And in the process of having this mental breakdown, my team just stepped up and it was almost like no one was the wiser. Wow. They were like, finally, you're out of our way. Wow, <laughs> like, that's amazing. That I have the then, chills just hearing that. Yeah. And then coincidentally, I was already in therapy, which I'm a huge proponent of. Like we have to work on professional development in order to have the confidence, which is all what we're going to talk about today too, um, to be able to have confidence in your people. And the way that you do that is having confidence in yourself and knowing that mistakes are going to happen, but you can fix them and it's not the end of the world. Um, yes. And I was diagnosed with PTSD from burnout. Wow. So that was a huge turning point for me during this whole experience. It was so much learning packed into just a couple of weeks. And at the end of the day, I was like, this company is going to fall apart without me. But right. of course, no one was the wiser because when you develop your team and you care about your people, they just can't wait to step up into the roles that you've built for them. And oftentimes we are the ones getting in the way to the point where we're literally harming our mental and physical health. And I mean, I'm not coming from a judgy place because I, I was that person. So yeah. that's how I got here. And that's what our company does. It helps women that are kind of like me a few years ago. And I still do this now. I have to put myself in check every time I talk about this. Um, but it's really, it's just can be such a transformational experience personally to learn how to count on others. That's unbelievable. And I'm, I, like I said, Kira, this timing could not be more perfect because these are th the things that you're saying, you know, I've gone through similar, like when you have kind of, you know, a mental burnout breakdown, something like that, the PTSD element of it is not something I've ever heard that way, but I can think in yeah. my brain of what that feels like, of like kind of almost like the shame of it happening and why couldn't I handle it better or what did I do wrong? Kind of like beating yourself up about it. 
instead of going into action to actually fix it. And HR, I think a lot of people, myself included, don't even know what that encompasses. I remember HR as like where I would go when I got in trouble at work, you know? <laughs> like, oh, like this person said this, you're in trouble, go to HR. But like, that's what, yeah. that's really the extent of what I thought HR was. And it's so funny because one of my friends used to do social work for therapy and she's my best friend. We've been best friends for 15 years. She's like my sister, but she calls herself HR of the business because she's the only mm -hmm. one I'll talk to about all of the, you know, just the stress and things I can't talk about with, you know, really anybody else that I don't yeah. I'm not going to trust anybody else with that. But she's yeah. like, Mari, like I'm like, I'm literally your HR person. Like it's just a running joke, but I have thought so many times this could be so useful because the connection between, I always say, I need a barrier between myself as the owner of the business and the employees sometimes, because like you said, some employees, like they cannot control certain things that they say or whatever, and it can really be a detriment to the business. And I'm admitting mm -hmm. I've definitely made those mistakes. So what have you seen as far as a transformation with the people that you've helped, you said you help smaller businesses, you help bigger corporations. How have you seen the actual business itself profit more from HR? Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. And it's so nuanced because every business is so different. And I think that that's where HR kind of gets lost in translation um, because it becomes oversimplified in a way that the company is utilizing it correctly, but the people aren't seeing it in the same way that maybe the higher ups are. So right. transitioning from being an employee that's getting in trouble and getting sent <laughs> to HR, like many entrepreneurs are. Like we have a, I literally didn't even call myself HR until like five years into the business because I think in such an operation and linear brain until right. I kind of had to. I mean, I'm managing a team of 50 people. I am doing all the HR. I have to know all the labor laws. I'm in California. We have four times as many as anyone else. Right. Um, so it was definitely a, it's just kind of a, it's a shock to the senses to realize what HR can do for the business behind the scenes if it's given all the information. And the fact is in most corporations, the HR people are sitting on the same floor as the CEO. Right. So they're privy to all that information and it keeps the actual people, the talent, the assets from going to HR for all that it can be used for because it feels sneaky. So right. our approach is to put HR on the floor of the people and to represent the needs of the business. And we kind of filter through the information that we get from every side. So we get the operations information, we get the financial information, we get the um, the, the offers that we're providing. We get all of that information. We get the legal stuff that we have to deal with. We talk to the lawyers on a daily basis. You know, right. we have all of these. And in small business, that's usually just one or two people that are doing all of these things. That's so we can true. really filter it through and help to empower the people on the team to see the whole picture without necessarily having to know the whole picture in order to be more effective in their jobs. Wow. That, and how do you see, like, with HR is another portion of that therapy because I remember I was working for a medical device company doing like MRIs and stuff. And yeah. I remember, cause I talk about therapy a lot on the podcast and I always would cool. seek out free therapy options because growing up I would go to like one therapy sessions and my parents were like, all right, you gotta like pay for your therapy. You know, it's not free, yeah. it's very expensive, it's a luxury. So yeah. when I would see those like kind of free therapy options given out like at HR, I was like, ooh, like 
I'm definitely going to take advantage of this. But a lot of people don't because I think a lot of people might feel uncomfortable in that setting with their peers or with their uh, coworkers to be like, I need help, you know? So how do you combat that? How do you present that to employees within companies so that they feel comfortable coming to HR? Yeah, well, I think that even on a small business level, this all falls on the back of the CEO. So right. just another thing um, that you yeah. have to deal with. But yeah. essentially, <laughs> when the, the type of, I guess, mental and emotional support that come from HR is really it's really going to be a reflection of leadership and the ability of the team to step into their leadership roles. So we see a lot in corporate HR of friction between the HR department and the managers because the HR has to kind of clean up what the managers are leaving behind. So if you ever get down like HR TikTok culture, um, it's a lot of like these managers are stupid. (laughs) And if you get down manager HR or manager TikTok, then it's like HR sucks and they never let us do what we're supposed to do. And it's just, they're not speaking the same language because they're they're living in different worlds right and in small business you can't you can't do that there's first of all there's just not enough people but there are still the same needs so being able to be educated on the way that you manage your team and the way you lead your team it truly does come from the CEO down it's a trickle down effect so how you're showing up with solid boundaries and leadership skills and management skills as a reflection of what you learn from HR the policies that are in place that are built by HR that are compliant and legally binding is going to filter right through to your company culture so it creates that intention in those conversations. So yes, we do act as a therapist in some situations, but it's not from a sense of I'm going to help you solve your problems. It's from a sense of like, we need to create solid boundaries between your work life and your home life so that you don't feel like you need a therapist at work and you have the emotional capacity to deal with and be passionate about your work and redirect your attention to the things that really need to be dealt with and are important. And also as managers, giving permission to pe- for people to turn that off. And if they do need therapy, they should go get that outside right. of work because we're right. not the problem because right. our culture is really built around those boundaries and creating a space for people to have the room to leave work at the end of the day and not have those things blend together right. in such a problematic way. I mean, otherwise you're just never turning it off and we're turning our teams into a bunch of burnt out CEOs. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> no, and what I meant with the therapy was also like they would give us kind of references to free yeah. therapy. So like what kind of like, okay, if you have, you know, work issues here, like you said, keep it here. But if you have issues outside of that here's a reference of like something that's cost effective or something that's free that you can go like a couple times the first time free and then you pay like oh yeah or build it into your medical plan something like that and you're absolutely right with now that I'm thinking about it because in my mind I'm like okay maybe you hire a an HR company they bring in those policies and everything and the CEO is just like sitting back but it's really the CEO has to agree with some of the policies that you're implementing if they're not legally mm-hmm. the legally binding, you know, musts of the business. So that's yeah. really interesting. I just yeah. had my husband come and teach us all about contracts because he knows day to day, he sees behind the scenes like, you know, I have a lot of liabilities of getting sued if things are not checked, the boxes, blah, blah, blah. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I want the agents to know every single thing that they're going to need to know for these deals and that's not what you get in the licensing and that's not what you get you know when you walk through the door and get hired to a company like there have to be those 
it's almost like maintenance, like yeah. maintenance. And it's not just one time, like let's do lunch and learns like several times a month. Let's keep educating ourselves when the market shifts. What do we do now? Like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But if a CEO doesn't see the value in that and then the HR comes in, you know, you might butt heads, which I'm sure happens a lot. Yeah. You know, by the time our clients come to us, they're like, oh, well, we need to follow these laws and we need to follow these principles, but we don't want it to feel like this big corporate thing in our small business or in our medium sized business. And CEOs and companies do have quite a bit of control over the policies that their companies enact. And so right. kind of back to what you were saying about therapy, that's all in a benefits package that right. HR will help you build and budget for. Okay. So even back to your very first question, which was how it can help you profit is by creating actually valuable things that draw in talent and keep them there alongside what you're already doing, which is that right. continued education, employee engagement, all learning and development is an HR function as well. Wow. So being able to kind of connect not only their benefits package with what the, what the company can actually afford and budget for, it takes this element of, I don't have any control over the policies that my company follows to actually you have control over every single one. I mean, most of the legal things out there that we have to follow are going to be something that are always going to benefit the employees and they're the bare minimum. Right. It's just bringing that awareness is usually what our clients hire us for. That's the key layer of it is how do we twist that to really replicate our culture? Because otherwise we would just use HR policies, use, use company policies to create a million companies with all the exact same policies. And I'll be honest, like this is sort of maybe controversial. When I started this business, I was like, I've been doing HR for so long. Like I just have to replicate the same stuff I've been using for every small right. business that I sell this project to. Right. It was not the case at all. I mean, yeah. after two clients, I was like, everybody wants a different culture. You might think like, obviously, this is how we want our culture to feel. Obviously, like right. the way that you're talking about learning and giving people the why behind the what. You might think that's like, duh, every CEO wants that. They yeah. don't. Right. CEOs, and it's not in a bad way. It's just that there are so many positive things that we can bring into company culture. And not every business can be a culture built around every single great thing. Yes. So yeah, it's really cool to have a culture built all around flexibility too. And that might not work if you want to really focus on continued education because there's going to butt heads a little bit with each other. So having that intentionality behind what you're probably already doing and just seeping it in through your company policies, right. it creates policies that reflect you and not that you're battling with them along the way. And it's really fun. It's a lot more fun than you think. Yeah, no, it sounds almost like you're consulting with the business owner and then you're kind of working with the standards that they want to set for their company and then you're holding that standard. So it's yeah. like when somebody's like, I have a really high standard for performance and maybe that's their top of mind as a CEO, you're bringing in that element of, okay, let's meet that standard also with policy and making sure that your business is running ethically, your business is running smoothly without a lot of you know, com combat, because that's the hardest thing with a CEO is like dealing with just random fires all the time. But how yeah. do you mitigate that? It sounds like that helps a lot because like you said, and I want to point this out, it's the awareness that you're bringing. Mm -hmm. The policy is there, like, the, like you said, the laws, the bare minimum, like rules that you have to follow. It's the awareness that so many people don't have about it and it's not their fault. It's almost like when you're paying taxes or when you're working with an accountant, like unless you really know your shit and you have like done your own yeah. research on your own, 
you could be paying the wrong amount and you get in trouble, but like the policy's still there, but it's your responsibility to educate yourself and stay educated on the laws and the poli- and all of that. Because as a broker, as transitioning from an agent to a broker, they always say it's your own business and it really is your 1099, but yeah. the liability piece is not there when you're an agent. Once you're a broker and you own the business, you're liable for so much and if you don't know those laws and you're hit with a lawsuit, you're like, oh my God, I could have gotten ahead of this by educating myself on it when I should yeah. have. And it, there's nobody knocking on your door saying you have to educate yourself, but they will knock on your door when you get in trouble for violating that policy. So it's 100%. the awareness that, you, yeah. that you're bringing to the table. Absolutely. That's yeah. amazing. Like that's and huge. It's- Yeah. And it's two parts too, because we're not expecting all of our CEOs to step into our kickoff meeting and tell me all the things that they're not doing right. We're actually just expecting you to come in and tell me how you want your culture to look. And our questionnaire is all about you, who you are as a leader. And also the secondary part of that, which is a little bit more transactional and the driving force is how big do you want to get? How big do you want to go? What are your business goals? Because that is also going to change the way that you build out your policies and they really have two functions. Um, Dixie, sorry, my dog's like, Oh, oh we know about KPIs. We're getting into the KPI discussion. Okay. Um, I'm ready to talk about KPIs. I'm stoked about this because I need help with this. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it is really hard. And especially even over the last few years, as I've been building them for different unique business models, it's so interesting because they're driven truly by those two things. What do you want it to feel like at work every day as the boss, as the person that's showing up, that's representing the company, that's sometimes the face of the company as well? And how big do you want to get? Do you want your company to be always based on you as the face, as a personal brand that's bringing in the talent that stays kind of boutique and small because your policies are going to look different. Right. The second layer to that is really bringing in that awareness and education in really easy to manage and bite-sized versions of tutorials, information, consulting, you know, that kind of thing that's all really built out into our process to make sure that you're absorbing all the things that you really need to know as the CEO, but also you know where to get it. So it's not about like, I need to memorize all this. And that's what I even say to our employees when we do the orientation, we're going to go through all our company policies here today. You don't need to memorize it, but I'd love it if it pings something in your mind down the road, if you need support with harassment or something like that, because your CEO wants you to know that you have these rights and so that we can protect you. So it takes it from having a friction of the employee versus the company to the company is here to support you. Let's bring you under our wing and look at all these ways that we can help support you. The only time there's friction is when the CEO or there isn't HR and the the employee has to go straight to the labor board and there isn't resources within their own company. And a lot of times... We think, oh, HR sucks. I don't want to have it on my com- on my team, on my company, whatever. But it's the greatest relief for CEOs because they get to count on somebody having their back, but also having their employees back wow. and having that neutral party that can help represent that. Um, and the policies do, you know, kind of jumping into the KPIs discussion a little bit. The policies can be your employee handbook, your job descriptions, what's expected of you, all of that. But we don't walk away from our contracts with our clients without giving them actual measurable KPIs that are pulled from those job descriptions. So people know exactly what's expected of them because that clarity brings, uh, it draws their attention to what they're supposed to be doing every day and the company will immediately profit from it. You'll see a huge turn of profit even just within a few weeks. That is huge. That is so major because KPIs, like I've heard that term a lot, but I've never sat down and like 
really been like, these are the KPIs, you know, like I write them down in little whatever. But yeah, the other day I, I brought on a sales support rep finally, like from within. And I'm like, all right, this is a great fit. She's like my top producer. She's a natural helper. Like it was the perfect fit. And I'm like, yeah. this time when I hire someone, instead of saying, because I used to just hire someone, I'd be like, you're going to come help me. It changes every day. Like my job is never the same every day. I do a million different things. So like whatever I need that day kind of thing. People would get uh-huh. so overwhelmed and they would yeah. be like, oh my God, I see you on social media. I thought this was going to be fun. And now you, I realize <laughs> that you do 15 million different things at once because I'm like ADD brain. So yeah. then they would r- run and be like, all right, peace out. Like I'm not doing this. So now I will, I have like, a, it's not fancy at all. I just wrote like an Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, here's what the current employee is doing. Here's what you're going to be doing. And here's how you're going to be working together. And these are like the accounts that you'll have access to. And that's, that's my version of the KPI for now. But, but I find that the great employees, they'll often ask, like, I want to know exactly what you're expecting of me. Like they do Mm -hmm. not want just free, like whatever kind of thing. And sometimes when you're like a creative person or whatever, you think that's fine. But for a lot of people, they need like, tell me exactly every day what I need to do, what my objectives are, not just goals at the beginning of the year, but like, what are my tasks day to day? And that's really huge that I'm sure that helps people profit, like you said, instantly, because it's the clarity and writing it down is like, and, and consulting with someone to say, Hey, this is my idea. What do you think too? Because having mm-hmm. a sounding board, I'm sure, is what a lot of that consult is. And do they do you do an initial consult and then you kind of take it from there or do you have kind of like maintenance consulting with the CEO? Yeah, so what we found works really well is taking a kind of overarching look at the company through our 90-day signatures signature program, our signature service. It's called the Paradigm Solution. Okay. And essentially we build all those compliance pieces and your backend job descriptions and your it all links together under your employee handbook, your policies, your new onboarding, new hire onboarding orientation. We work with a lot of companies that already have a bunch of employees. So we bring them in for an orientation anyway and it gets everybody on the same page speaking the same language. Okay. Um, and then everybody's onboarded the same way from there, which has two purposes. One, to build a company culture and to Find it in a place that is, it only takes an hour because we've perfected wow. our system. And it's really driven by our initial kickoff with our CEO. So in the very beginning of this 90 days, we sit down for two hours and we walk through a big questionnaire, build out the culture, build out the policies as a reflection of the culture, advise on things that you may not know about little things like how you manage vacation is indicative of what you want your culture to look like. And what it does is we have all these ideas bouncing around in our heads, right? But what really is happening on the day-to-day of the business is pretty straightforward. So it it has two sides. One is that really straightforward. We I call them being the bad cop because I love to be able to be the, the leader that's showing up and supportive and creating, especially for women, we're such... We're, we care so much about our people and we want them to have the best possible experience. And it's, I really commend you for being like, and then I lost people because I didn't have the clarity there because it can be shameful and you shouldn't feel ashamed. Yeah. But like, I have a lot of business owners that are like, I want you to sign an NDA because I don't want my clients to know that I 
failed at this. Right. And it's like, right. dude, everybody's failing. No one's talking yeah. about this enough. It's hard. Like it's, yeah, it's really, hard. really hard. It's hard. And it's, so we yeah. build it out and that one side of things is all those bad cop things where I can be like, I'm so sorry. Like I, I wish I could approve this vacation time, but you know, that's during our launch period. So it's a blackout. Can you go the week before? Can you go the week after? Right. And the policies do the bad cop. And then I translate them over as the leader. And yes. the other side of the service is all about what the people are doing every day, measuring your capacity, figuring out what their key components, their key metrics that you can measure super easily that are going to get a result for your team members. So, I mean, I'm not sure how this is going to work out, but tell me more about your salesperson and let me see what we can pull out of that. Like, what are they going to be doing for you on the day-to-day -day basis? What does that job description say? Yeah. So my agents, they're all 1099, but they are all salespeople. So essentially, and kind of like what you said with the NDA stuff like that, everything, not everything, but I'd say 40% of my business, I actually did the numbers the other day, it's exactly 40% <laughs> comes from <laughs> social media. Um, uh -huh. And then 36% comes from the agents. 20% uh, comes from my sphere that I did from like, you know, organic door knocking, meeting people in person, just being from South Florida. Um, so all of that business, those stuff that I bring in, they take those leads 50-50. So they like, take take it 50 50 they work with those clients who are all connections that i've made organically so for me i am very connected to the client and that's been my biggest um struggle i think with being a boss is i'm so almost emotionally tied to the clients because I worked, I like begged for business for so long and was so desperate for business that anybody I met, I would be like, here's my card. You know, like I worked every single day to get this and the clients are the number one for me. And now as a business owner, I know I have to transition more into that. Like, I know we're getting kind of off topic. Uh, transition no, no, this is really good. This is really good. <laughs> into someone who's more like, of course, the client experience, like it's always going to be number one for me. I don't think that will change, to be honest, because mm -hmm. customer service is so important. And I see it day to day, like if employees are representing a business and their customer service is terrible, they're not looking people in the eye at the cash register, they're like completely blowing them off. That affects your business. It directly, directly affects your business. So and I want them to know, like, you should be respectful with people. Like, you sh there's a way to talk to people. It's not about getting them to buy the most expensive house. It's about what's actually in your best interest and how can I do my best job to find that. So mm -hmm. my, my message to them is always be the matchmaker. Like, you go out and look at all the inventory on a regular basis. So then when the clients come through the door, you know, like, oh, I have this this one that fits your needs, this one and this one. I'm not going to waste your time sending you, you know, putting you on an auto email on the MLS, which you can do, which just sends them everything that pops up oh, all God. the time. And I'm like, that's <laughs> just not that, our job. Like, as a homeowner. Like, we get like, paid uh... a lot of money. And, like, we should be doing not the bare minimum, you know? So I'm, re I'm very strict. I'm like, no auto emails. I don't like blast emails, only if it's for, like, a specific, very specific thing. Thing, but everything should be custom. You should be going through the MLS and like customizing for your clients, run numbers for your clients. If they want an Airbnb, if they want a multifamily, run those numbers first so that you're not wasting their time. Because 
a lot of these people are also CEOs or my previous bosses or, you know, like stuff like that, where I'm like, they don't have time to sit here and sift through 30 properties a day. Like they want you to send them. Does it make money? Does it not? Yes. No. Great. Have a good day. If it doesn't work today, maybe next month it will. Like that's how they work. That's how investors work. And that's the bulk of our business is investors. So I know that mindset and I know and I know, I know I'm like, I know everything, but like, I just have no. done a lot of transactions and I've closed over a hundred million in real estate. So, and it's mostly investors and it's not these $30 million properties. It's a lot of like under a million, you know, sales, yeah. but you have to put the pieces together for a client for them to work with you because there's a million realtors out there. There's a million people they can call if you're the one that like knows their shit, same thing with listings. If I'm at a listing and I'm like, ba, 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 I know everything about the property. I know about the area. I know what the income's going to be like. It's a done deal. You know, it's a yes or no. It's not a hmm, let me think about it. Yeah. So I want them to to operate in a confident way. And I know that that comes through knowledge and like making some sacrifices and taking some days to to take that time to do it and connect with people in the industry. Cause I think you learn yeah. the most from being in the field in real estate more so than, you know, just reading or just looking online. Like you really oh, yeah. have to be in it uh, mm -hmm. to know what's really going on and get the energy in the field. That's my opinion on it. And there, there are agents who do things different ways. Like my sales support rep, we were talking, she's like, do you really think networking events are not useful? I'm like, I've been to one in my life for real estate and I'm like, they're all realtors here. The, my clients are not here. I gotta find them somewhere else. But then she's like, well, I made connections this way and sold a house this way. So, you know, I have to work on not being so set in stone with the sales reps to be like, this is how I did it. This is how you're gonna do it. Like, I'm trying to be more like, okay, let's customize what makes sense for you. And that's why I only have 15, 16 agents because I don't, I want the best in South Florida. That's my goal, the best of the best so that my clients are happy. And like, so that they have pride in their work and that who they work with, they're like, we are the best agents, the most knowledgeable. So yeah, it's like slow and steady wins the race, I think for me. Well, meanwhile, other brokerages that are very, very successful and very, very profitable as well have 3,000 agents, you know, and they're on a volume, you know, model. That's just not my model. You know, I, I know what I want. I know my standard and I know how I want the, like, I want people to be happy to be with the agents and be like at the closing table stoked. I want to do this again with this agent. Like I want to work with yeah. them again. So that's yeah. how I want them, you know, to be prideful in that, I guess. And I think like, if you can take this recording, clip <laughs> out what you just said and show it to every single person that you hire, because what you described just now was not your strategy. It wasn't your background. It wasn't education. It wasn't training. It was your culture. It's your company culture that's going to set you apart from every other competitor that's out there. And it's also going to do the number one most important thing, which is attract the absolute best talent. And I think that what we miss in HR is we think it's policies and blah, blah, blah. 
but as you're talking, I'm pulling out all these nuggets that are like, this is what your culture will look like. This is what your, um, your remote work conduct policy will look like. This is what your team meeting structure will look like. And for your salesperson that's coming in, even just as you're talking about that, there is a huge element of we are the expert and we can step into that and have the confidence to do that and say, these are the things that's worked for me. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. And I hear what you're saying. So 25% of your KPIs, one of your four key components and objectives of your job is to go out and prove to me that those networking events are going to be worth something. It's to go out and bring me someone to network with once a quarter. If you bring me one valuable connection through that 25% of your objectives every single quarter, quarter, then I consider that a KPI off the list. However, if you are not doing that every single month, one new connection that we can work with that we are going to profit from that's going to bring us clients, we're going to revisit that KPI and focus on the three things that I know work. And that's how you use metrics to get the performance out of your people while still instilling that I'm interested in what you're saying. And 75% of this is what I know works because I'm confident enough to know that I sold would you say a hundred million dollars or something? Yeah, uh, over that now, like, but yeah. There's still room in that person's position to take what you've already built and what you've already proven and the numbers that you've broken down and have the confidence to stand behind those and be like, this is how I want it done. And I value your opinion and perspective, but let's put a number on it to make sure it's actually bringing in some money and it's motivating. But 75% of their job is still driven towards the KPIs that we come up with for their position, which means that you're going to be making money on them every day. So it's actually just creating engagement for them, creating a challenge for them. And salespeople are the absolute best people to manage because you can draw everything out into metrics. We can talk about all of these different things. But one thing you mentioned that I would say, if you are a business owner and you're really relating to what Mari is saying, is to take that mentality of the culture and how your clients are so obsessed with you and they can't wait to do it again, turn that into a metric. So taking that person that they're meeting with at the table and either make it into a client survey that you actually call them or take them out to lunch and you say, I've got three questions for you to make sure that my team is doing what they need to do. Are you happy with their service? How happy are you with the service on a one to 10? What feedback do you have? And give me your overall rating of how cared for you felt through this experience. And that is what you pay your people on. So if they give, if they have an average of five stars every single time, that's the only metric we're looking at. Yes, you're gathering that data throughout that conversation, but the metric that they want is a five-star review at the end of every single client transaction. Then you can sit down with them at the end of their, you know, review period and say, you got an average of three and a half stars. That's not good enough. Here's what I got. Here's how I'm going to coach you based on these conversations. However, you have somebody else that's like, I'm getting five stars. They're the one that's getting the raise. So you can literally see the money that's coming in with those repeat clients from the people that are getting the five stars. And I'm sure that combats a lot of inter-employee conflict because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings that will go on, like where people will think that someone's getting preferential treatment. Maybe they're getting more business or let you know whatever and then maybe it's a reason that that they have no idea because those kpis or those um you know metrics haven't been communicated correctly or established and a lot of times when you're not looking at those metrics like i said i had never really broken down i knew that most of my not not most but i knew a lot of the leads that were coming in were from you know social media once it really like you know took off but I didn't know exactly, you know, and I really wanted to know. And then once I knew exactly, I'm like, oh, now I can with confidence tell my sellers like 
40%, you know, of this comes from social media. So that is going to benefit your listing. Like those kind of things that it just provides clarity. And like you said, with employees, it's like, it's giving them the freedom to say, this happened the other day. Like someone said, oh, we should do this. We should have this like lunch and learn. I'm like go yeah. ahead, but like, let's make sure that we're not, doing this every week if it's not actually transacting because I had worked for other brokerages before opening my own. Um, there was one that I only worked for for two months. I won't say the name, but it was a lot of um, a lot of going to properties that none of us had clients anywhere near being able to afford the property time like complete in my mind I'm like I could have been working all day and now I just mm -hmm. spent the day in Miami looking at a 40 million dollar penthouse meanwhile 90 percent of the people here have not sold a house you know like that was a, an exaggeration but like or had you know 300 400 thousand dollar buyers and I'm like I could have spent this time looking for properties for my $400,000 buyer and actually made yeah. money instead of, you know, there's, there's something to be said for visualization, definitely an inspiration and putting yourself in, you know, like luxurious places. But for with real estate specifically, so many agents and it breaks my heart because it happened to me. So many agents get caught in the smoke and mirrors with brokerages saying like, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Da, 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 da. And when it is a volume-based brokerage that they're like anybody, you know, like anybody they can yeah. get, bring them in. Mm -hmm. You have to be so aware as an employee, as a 1099, like of what you are actually looking for, like what you actually want out of that brokerage. Is their marketing beneficial to you? Is that template actually going to bring you business or is that to maintain the business that you're bringing in yourself? okay, does that deserve, you know, 30% of your commission? Maybe not. You know, you got to ask yourself those questions. And luckily, I had people in my life that like would read what the brokerage would send me. And they're like, Mari, like you do not like this is BS. It's going to be the same thing here or there. You know, it's it's what you bring to the table that brings the business. And that's how real estate really works. But mm -hmm. a lot of people do need that structure and guidance also to say, oh, okay, I'm not going to go learn the policies on my own, but if my brokerage is going to like set that up for me, that would be great so that I am informed and that I don't make a mistake and get sued and all that stuff. Or, you know, or maybe your brokerage introduces you to a new project and you didn't think about it before. And now you're like, oh my God, now I can talk about this condo project to my client. But like you're saying, that all comes down to the CEO and the owner of the business prioritizing those implementations while also remembering the profit of the business. Because yeah. as I'm sure you've seen, I'm sure there's CEOs that don't know the ins and outs of the finances of their businesses even. Mm -hmm. um, aside from, you know, HR policies, they just really don't have a handle on those metrics as a whole. How yeah. do you, like, have you, what are kind of the levels you've probably seen at all of, how you've had to implement and say, listen, let's get this together. And like, like let's get this business streamlined and in a organized place. Cause I'm sure that's a yeah. lot of what you're doing. You said that you're really like an organized person and that's kind of how your brain works. So mm -hmm. how like Super linear. that has to be a struggle for a lot of people to be like, okay, let's like peel everything back and kind of re 
set. Do you have to yeah. do that sometimes? Like yeah, and I think part of it is, you know, we've worked with 70 small businesses almost wow. at this point. Hopefully by, I'm hoping to close two more clients in the next couple of weeks. So hopefully by the time people <laughs> are listening to this, we're at 70. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's very, you know, those, that's a metric. Like that's, that's a, something right. that I'm excited about that's motivating. But that's throughout amazing. that process, our process, our solution that we can fit into 90 days has only gotten more and more efficient. Okay. And I think that as a CEO, we have all these things that are floating around in our heads and we're like, I know this could be more efficient. I know my time can be more productive. And I can honestly say that hiring the right people for my team has helped my process improve. Going from a Google Doc that people get to a folder of customized materials that is built around their culture is not because of me. It's right. because of my people. And what I did was find the right people that can come into my business with a clear goal and objective in mind so that everything that we're doing actually matters. So what we want to also do is when you get to that second level where you have a team that's fully functional, which is it sounds like where you're at is you're not only just thinking about what can I do to make the most out of all of these actions for my business to create revenue, but what do I also need to provide for my people to make sure that they are also little mini revenue generators. Right. And that's not a lunch and learn every week. Right. For people like we see a lot of HR stuff out there. That's like, yeah, provide education once a week, give everybody pizza at 12 o'clock. That's not always going to be the most effective thing. Right. Like what we want to do is I want to show up for my team and say, listen up guys. Like I, I found this awesome resource, this awesome piece of material, this awesome um, educational webinar about, I don't know, I'm just going to use brokerage words or something. And, <laughs> and basically, this is actually impactful. I'm pumped about it. You guys are going to be pumped yes. about it. So I'm going to actually invest your time in this because I know there's going to be a return. So you're going to have more engagement for your team because they're going to believe you and they know that you're not just crossing some HR box off a list of don't forget to educate your people. Check. Right, like that is not right. what we're doing. And that's why we're not HR. Like at the end of the day, we're people operations. We take your people, we take your operations, we blend them together. We give you a clear picture and we give you a clear culture to run. So I know what you were saying earlier. Oh my gosh, I want to just bring this up really quick. Not to totally yeah. hijack the conversation, but I think it's valuable. Hijack it. Um, one of the things that you said earlier that I was like, oh my gosh, Mari has to be my client tomorrow. But basically like I was thinking about how you said my day is different and it's this and this and this and this and this. Yes. And we love that as CEOs. Like I actually, I have ADHD. I'm all about that. Like yeah. I'm like, yes, I love when things are different. That's it. why I started my own business. Yeah. Like I love to have different ideas. But what I noticed for myself is that if I have other people that are looking towards me for direction, I don't want that desire for me to have a different day every day to also be reflected on them yes. because 92% of employees and 92% of people, whether they are 1099, I know real estate's interesting because they feel like employees, but they're independent. Right, right. Um, but there is a moment where you kind of have to realize that they probably aren't thinking that same way. If they wanted every day to be different and to be challenged in that way that we are and that we relate on, then they wouldn't be employees. Right, they would be business right, owners. Right, and right. There are people that are going to come to you and they're going to, you're going to recognize that in them and you might develop them in a different way because yeah. they're going to think in that way. But ideally what we want is to actually have a linear structure, even for the CEO's day to day of what are the functional things that you actually have to do? Because what it does then is it creates a, you know, you got a to-do list, you have a job description, you have things you're responsible for. Yes. And all it does is create a white space for you to have different ideas, be creative, approach things in different ways. Um, 
Um, go with your agents to meet with clients. Go out and seek out different clients. Meet with investors. Start a networking group of your own of investors. Right. You know, that white space that you don't have time for now because you are living in the moment every day, which feels really great and amazing. But at the end of the day, we want to do that most of the time, but we still have to have a purpose too. Yeah. And the more purpose-driven we are, even if our purpose is just every day to make sure that we're connecting with each one of our people, because we know that that's going to make us money, that could be it. And then right. it's not that that's all you're doing. It's just that everything else is that white space for creativity. So you have the freedom to bounce around and try different things and experiment and be creative. And I think in the past, corporations have taught us that that white space is meant to be tamed and turned into tasks. And that right. is not the case for CEOs. However, it is the case for our teams. We don't want to manage them the same way that we manage ourselves. And even within that, we have to have a depth of knowledge for each of our team members to see what's going to motivate them. So your new salesperson that you were talking about earlier, your sales agent, sales She's agent? Sale, I'm a promoter to sales support representative. So she's sales still an agent, yeah. but she's now the support rep as well. Yeah. yeah, like even just what you've said of her so far as a person, I've been a people manager first and foremost for my entire career. And at the end of the day, that person, I can tell that they are going to want to debate their ideas with you. They're going to yes. want to talk through them with you. Yes. Not every employee is going to want that. So you have to kind of take instead of giving them stuff to do instead of telling them about those webinars that you're finding that are so kick-ass for your brokers. Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to cuss. You can't. Um, <laughs> or whatever the situation may be. Um, then you're actually going to take her and her motivation, her drive, her mentality. And you're going to say, I want you to go find that thing that you're excited to share with the rest of the team instead right. of you actually having to do it. Right. And those little things, like we are, we truly are the best at what we do. I am the best at what I do. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm on your podcast and not my amazing team that I should probably just give everything over to at this point. Right. They're always like, here, come on. Um, <laughs> but at this point, that's why we're here. That's why we're the CEOs. We do know all of that stuff. We're not trying to create a bunch of mini us, but we right. are trying to make sure that we're motivating people to be their best every day. Because the truth is 85% of us is still going to be way better than everybody else that's out there. Right. And that comes with the confidence of leadership and knowing that as you're stepping into this role, you don't have to be a bitch to get the best out of your people. You don't have to be an app. Like, sorry, now I'm just like fully on no, the No, go off because I did the same um, thing. <laughs> you don't have to fit into this mold. You don't have to account for every single piece of your time. But you do have to be confident that you are the one that knows the best. But you also have to be confident enough to know that you can lead your people into their best results that you can't even imagine for them yet. Yes. Because that's how we get truly engaged, excited, and committed people for the long term. And I think that if you're doubting me in any way at this point, I have employees that have worked for me since they were 16 years old. They're getting onto their eighth year, their anniversary in my COO position. Um, I have employees that have worked with me for 10 years, nine years, three years. Our entire management team is built of decades of experience and almost no person is over the age of 40. Wow, and to have amazing. that kind of dedication on your team is it does. It isn't a result of following a checklist of doing a lunch and learn every week. It's about actually giving a crap about your people, yes. what they're good at, and giving them a space to expand on it, but also making sure that those KPIs are still making money for right, the company right. at the same time. And no, that's that's <laughs> literally like music to my ears because it's it's resonating with me because when she sent me like 
she sent the team this uh, thing on Monday and it was like, you know, everybody's rankings, but then also like a quote and, and stuff, you know, to think about for the week and whatever. And I had a meeting with her. And I was like, I was inspired by that because it made me think of this. And then we could have that kind of back and forth conversation where usually, and like, it's important that you're saying this because when people think of delegation and hiring someone for a certain position. You know, my assistant, who's worked for me for over a year, she lives in Ohio, actually, and oh, cool. she works remotely. And I love it because I I love to be alone. Like, that's my thing. I It's hard for me to work with coworkers because I was always very autonomous. Like, every job I had with med sales, I was just in the car by myself. And the people yeah. I would interact with were doctors or, like, nurses, stuff like that, my clients. So I never had coworkers really. So I consider it coworkers, you know, I'm the boss, yeah. but I still like a lot of them are similar ages me, like we get along, we have like, you know, a good uh demeanor Reports. like in rapport in the office. However, I can definitely be aggressive when something goes wrong with one of my clients. Like I can lose my shit and I have and I have had to eat my words. I've had to apologize. I've had to really like do self-reflection. I've actually, speaking of therapy, I made a, I, all of my vision boards used to be like opening my own brokerage, like making this amount, this closing, you know, number. And I still have those. Those are like my, you know, kind of my KPIs for the business. But, mm -hmm. um, what was I, <laughs> I was like, oh, now I made a, I made a New Year's resolution to go to therapy every single week for a year. I was like, I'm gonna stick with it every single week for a year. I've never done it that long ever. And it was, a lot of it was because the first year of my business, I was like, it turned me into like a monster. I was like, I started this business with all of these amazing ideas. Like I wanted to be inspiring them with the podcast that I listened to, like sharing books that I had listened to that helped me the whole reason why I started a real estate course was because I realized that the reason why 90% of agents fail is because they don't stay with the business. And like I was making that to say, and most of the courses about mindset, it's like when things go wrong, it can feel like the whole world is crashing on you, but it happens to everyone. And like, here's how to get out of it and refer back to this course so that, you know, it doesn't expire so that if you are in that situation, refer back to this mindset course and like keep it together because I yeah. went through that and it sucked. And I, there were so many times where like a friend would buy without me or a family member or whatever. And I would be like, I'm not meant for this. Like I'm too weak for this. And that was my whole mission going into opening the brokerage. But like I said, with, when things go wrong with clients or shit hits the fan or whatever, it can bring out a side of you that has nothing to do with your company's mission, but it's in reaction to how much you care about the company itself. And it can come out totally. in the ugliest ways. And just to finish this point, I actually had to like apologize to a few of my agents about something and as I was saying like my rationalization I guess I was like I was like you know I said this but like I normally wouldn't say that because I don't really think that and I was like and I could see them almost like glaze over and I'm like it doesn't matter what my intention was it's the delivery and it's the way I handle things like that is all that really matters but the business has taught me so much about 
dealing with people, even my family members. Like it's it's actually amazing because it's not something I ever anticipated, but it forced me to be better with my communication with people and like gentler, you know, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, not yeah. so like black and white to the point, like, you know, like business about everything, like you said, because yeah. people don't flourish that way. And, mm-hmm. and when you're like, this is what you should be doing and you're wrong, you like fucked up, whatever, without the positive reinforcement, you know, side, it's got to be a really good balance for someone to feel valued within a company. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of times for myself, I might think that they feel valued because I said, great job. You did a great job on that sale. But yeah. maybe it's deeper that maybe it's another way that I don't know that maybe HR helps with that. I don't know. I could be wrong. No, I love, I just love what you're saying because it's so relatable. And like, I can tell we're like, we would have a really fun time at a happy hour because (laughs) we, you got that like feisty, like I'm on it energy, but it's cause you know, your shit. And like, at the end of the day, when we are CEOs, we can't, and this is all like right at top of mind because I have a leadership and management course coming out in June. And so it's like all my energy is going into that. But there's not like we do make mistakes as leaders like it's constant and if you don't then you're not trying that hard yeah but that doesn't mean that it's not wrong like it doesn't mean that our people like should be yelled at or should be screamed at or should be pulled into an office or like take things taken out on or whatever and I think one of the hardest lessons to learn when you're so passionate about something is that we have to build a community of other people other CEOs that we can go to and like rant with and vent with so that our team gets the filtered version, but not in a way that isn't showing who we really are. Yes. And my favorite like unsolicited piece of advice that I'm going to give you is one of the things that I'll say is when I have to have one of those raw and tough conversations and I want my team to know the impact of whatever happened and the, aggra- like you mentioned, I'm aggressive when I'm going towards what I'm doing. I want that in my realtor. So don't lose it. Don't stifle it. Like don't quiet it. But one thing you might go to your team member and say is, Hey, this is going to come out really harsh and really direct. I'm amped about this right now. So here is where my thought process went to. And here is the objective of this conversation. Yes, it's going to come out very harshly. And I do not want to hurt your feelings. And I want you to understand the why behind the what of why this is such a big deal. And being able to just kind of start it out in that way, it puts people in a mindset to be like, okay, I need to get something out of this. So then when we get to our objective at the end of the conversation, I'm getting this spicy, passionate discussion. But at the end of it, I'm going to walk away with a resolution that you as the leader are controlling what that objective is. What happens when we lose control of our emotions when we're dealing with our team is, and it, it happens, that is not meant to be judgmental. There has been more than a few times where I've been like, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and we do have to show up and apologize in that way. But yeah. the biggest mistake that we can make as leaders, I think, is by not giving people the we have to tell them what we want them to walk away from these tough conversations with. We have to be able to decide before we have our passionate diatribe, which I always am doing this, um, is we have to be able to decide what they want to walk away with. So it doesn't just end with, whoa, that went off the rails, you know, and it's more like, here's what I'm going to tell you because I'm really freaking pissed off about this. And at the end of it, we're going to talk about what you're going to do differently. So you can still have that space and it's very intentional and it's put together and it's still you as a leader. There is so much crappy advice out there about like 
go to your go to your community, vent to them, write an email, and then delete it. Like, no, I want my team that I'm leading that yes. has if there's less than 50 employees, they know your name, they know your phone number, they're gonna show up for you. Like they're actually motivated by working for you. Yes. So be your true self. And whether that means, you know, this may be an unpopular opinion, but we don't always need to apologize when we screw up. Sometimes it's just like, I'm gonna give you the reason behind it and the objective, and in the future, I'm not gonna approach it in that way. Right. But you don't always want to lead with an apology because yeah. there's usually a lot of meaning behind it. Yeah. And I think it's hard, especially for women, because we're just told to like shut up and sit in the corner. So then we're like, oh my gosh, I lost it. I'm humiliated. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. My team is, like you said, their eyes are glazing over. Right. Like if we start that conversation with there's an objective at the end of this, but you're gonna listen to why this is not right. okay. Right. That's okay. That's totally right. fine. That's a way to manage and it's a cultural thing. So when you're bringing in those team members at the very beginning on during your new type team member orientation, your first day with them, you're going to say, we have a high standard. Your KPIs are going to reflect that. I'm picky as hell. I'm aggressive with my clients. We go to the, we go balls to the walls for them. 100%. You're setting that expectation that you want them to do the same thing. So instead of having to be ashamed of that, you're creating people that are allowed to bring that passion to work. And by having those HR policies keeps it in line, doesn't go off the rails and become a toxic place to work, but you still get to be yourself. Definitely. I mean, just what you just said in the very beginning, I kind of like opened the floodgates because I was like, oh, all these people want to join. Like, that's so flattering. That's amazing. Like, I was just I couldn't believe it. And everyone that came through the door, I was like, you're hired, you're hired, you're hired. But then, (laughs) but now when I do my interviews, it's like one or two a month. And after, you know, my assistant has interviewed them, now my sales support rep has. And I'm like, basically the one they've already talked about, you know, splits, all that stuff. And I'm just like, listen, if you work with my clients, just know I am going to be paying attention and I have access to the CRM and like I have an expectation, you know, I'm not going to micromanage you if you don't need it, but they're incentive based. If you work hard and you make your calls and you actually call more than once, you know, like you <laughs> have to like follow, you know, I even made like PDFs where I'm like, this is exactly how you contact a client. Because again, yeah. coming from med sales, it was very structured. It's like you have to go to 15 accounts a day. Uh, then you have somebody, you know, shadowing you saying, oh, you didn't ask enough questions or you didn't do this right. It's so helpful because if you go into, you know, a sales job and you don't have former sales training, which is a lot of realtors, a lot of them worked, you know, in other industries, they have no idea. They're like, how do I gain business? That's the hardest thing. And most Mm -hmm. of them end up spending money on leads because they can't get that business organically themselves. So I'm like, listen, not only are you going to like, I'm going to expect you to really take care of my clients because they're extremely important to me. I also expect you to be structuring your week for success. Like on on weekends, do open houses. That's how you're going to get buyers. I did open houses all the time. I did my first sale by owners. I feel comfortable talking to them like that because I've done all of the things that I'm asking them to do. And yeah, that's something that I really wanted to touch on because I want your kind of advice on this because mm-hmm. with delegation, everyone's like, just delegate, just delegate. There are so <laughs> many different ways to start a business. Okay. And like I said, I've really done every portion of my business myself. So now when I delegate to people, aside from making a website, I pretty much know everything of how to do everything so that if something goes wrong, and that's why I mentioned a website, because like something went wrong and it's like, I wish I knew how to do that so I could just fix it, you know? However, then I thought, 
But if I knew that, I would have spent my Sunday fixing this website when it's not a priority. So how do you how do you get CEOs to set boundaries with let me just do it myself because I'm the best at doing this task to to learning actually letting somebody else do the task is going to bring in a different perspective because I've learned that now, but it's growing pains and it's I haven't learned at all. Like I'm still, you know, it's still like I do all the social media. I do all the management with the agents until last week, like. I still sell listings for my clients. I still talk to them on the phone every day. Like I'm still doing yeah. a lot of the hats and I'm trying to get myself to a place where I can actually take a vacation. And yeah. that actually, I know that this is a run on question, but that re- reminds me the, I think the biggest thing for me, I do not prioritize vacations. My wedding, like we eloped two days and came back cause I had to work. And the person working for me at that time didn't wake up till noon. So I was like on the phone on the way to my wedding. Like, can you wake up and show the house? Like, just crazy. And I've, I've evolved from that a little bit. It's been a few years, but I think. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, yes, this is a very loaded question. And if I had to say, like, if I was like fully in pitch salesperson mode, then I would be like, well, actually our service will speak to both of these. Right. I know I'm like asking for some free tips right now. (laughs) No, I'm down. I'm down because everyone deserves to know this. And it's basically those little things that you're talking about every single day, that thing that takes you five minutes, that's actually going to take up your whole Sunday. That's going to bother you on your way to your wedding. Those are a result of not having a clear and direct organizational plan and org chart. And those little tasks are actually the result of not having the big things handled. And those are representative or those are represented by the people in your business that can actually have those be a full on autonomous responsibility for them. And so I think that we get caught up as CEOs in trying to figure out how to translate these little tasks into big jobs when really what we want to do is take our org chart and take that person and then build the tasks out in a big job. So then those little tasks become defaulted right into their job description. So they just get kind of like tossed into the bucket. And then for example, a little thing like you ended up um, having to deal with this website situation. It's those things are going to come up along the way. So it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to have a big bucket that you can toss things into. So then you're like, Hey, I might, websites on show it. I don't want to have to deal with this on the weekends. It's actually not a good use of my time. And one of my employees is super down and interested in this. So I'm going to actually take a few minutes on Monday, block off a time on our calendars and teach them how to make these changes. So then they can be assigned that task in the future. And knowing that the first couple times that we end up in that situation, they are going to have questions. But then what you get as a result is for the rest of time, you have processes and procedures and a training in place that maybe you recorded and dumped into a library in your computer that is going to tell whoever is in that job that that's their responsibility wow, now. That's so smart. it's less about the little things and more about the big things in your big organizational plan, which is why in our, in our um, signature service, we build out your policies and your culture, but we also build out your organizational plan and those key roles. Um, now that leads right into the employee versus contractor discussion, which is a little bit more complicated on the 1099 versus 
versus W-2 side of things. And especially when it comes to real estate. So there are things that you're not going to be able to do with contractors. In most cases, real estate being an exception, most businesses are going to have people be considered a W-2 employee, which gives you the right to manage, develop, um, judge their performance, all of that good stuff. Right. Um, If you are... If you have a bunch of 1099s under you, then there has to be some reason that they are there. There has to be some give and take right. because if they're going to be invested, there has to be some kind of inclination that's bringing them in in that role. Most companies are not going to have that opportunity. Anybody that you're managing, directing, putting standard operating procedures into training, offering education and experience. Those are going to be people that are employees that we're going to be having under our umbrella legally. You literally can't have people that you're managing that are not 1099. So in your case, and and in that case, the way that you can look at your team is going to be a little bit different. Maybe you have a 1099 people that are out there selling and utilizing your brokerage as a 1099 employee, but they're really running their own business and running their own marketing. They can't count on you to provide leads for them because that's their job. They're supposed to go out there and get it. But if you have employees that are on your team, that are going to benefit from your internal marketing, your internal processes and your internal team structure. You also get to decide how much money they make because there's an investment that you're putting into to make sure that they have clients on the back end. So it could be really unique to see how your business could be kind of tweaked a little bit to be legal on that side of things. There is, like I said, there's more flexibility in real estate and a lot of creative uh, positions like design and web design and stuff like that. There's a little more flexibility there with what the law lets us do. Um, But yeah, I mean, realistically, if you want to be in charge of somebody's vacation and you want to take on that emotional burden, meaning, you know, you need to be out there doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and you're not, and I feel resentment about that. We can't feel resentment about the 1099s. Right, so right. In, in return, we don't need to give them as many leads. Right. So at the end of the day, it can be very transactional in a sense of like, maybe, and this may not make sense, but I'm just throwing a KPI out there, um, on the books in order to be successful, you know, you need to have three open houses a month. You need to be able to book eight different clients a month. And you know, that that means that you're going to close at a five-star rate. That actually is not just going to contribute to you keeping your job because you're a 1099. So we don't really decide that, but what it is going to contribute to is how many leads I'm going to feed you. Right. And so we can that's twist huge. it on its head a little yeah, bit. Yeah, That's huge. Cause it's, It's setting those clear expectations because that's my thing too. Like even with my W-2 employees, I'm like, I don't really necessarily care if like, you know, there's a couple hours here and there that are off. If you're getting everything done that I asked you to get done, everything's done right. You know, I'm not like, like freaking out about that. Um, But with the agents, I don't have that as clearly defined because like you're saying with 1099, it's totally different. However, with my structure, it's over 50% of it comes directly from me as far as the business is concerned. So there's like a, it's almost like half W2, half 1099, like in a way, because it is like, you know, if when agents are not on my leads at all, I'm like, do you do what I like, go to to Greece every day if you want, like, you know, like, as long as like, you know, it's, it's what they bring in. So it is interesting. Yeah. It would, you've definitely, um, you've definitely like your services are amazing and the way that you, you talk about it, you know, you as well know so much about the ins and outs of your business, of course. And that gives people a lot of confidence. Like you're the CEO of your business talking to other CEOs about how you can help them 
you know, not only streamline and make their business more, you know, policy oriented and more, um, you know, take the liability off of the CEO a little bit and help them sleep better at night and not have those in the middle of the night thoughts of like, oh my God, like, am I going to get hit with a lawsuit for some random reason? Um, and, and, like, and you're helping them with their own burn. Like that is the biggest thing because, and I want to, I want to end on this because part of my incentive or my objective to make this podcast I really wanted to go into, there's been so much rhetoric and so much education about how to properly work with employees and, and employee culture and, and making sure that they're happy. CEOs do not take care of their mental health enough. And there's actually studies that have shown that, that they have this consistent issue of taking care of everybody else before themselves, kind of like the airport analogy or airplane analogy. Like they don't yeah. put the mask on themselves first. And then it causes totally. them to go into severe mental health issues. Um, and it's really mm -hmm. not talked about because, again, CEOs don't want to look weak. If we look weak, I, I have experienced this, too, even with TikTok and social media. You know, it's a lot of people will say be vulnerable on social media to create more followers or to get more, you know, community. But there's a line because if somebody sees me crying on social media every day, are they really going to think that I'm like, a good person to work for or like a stable person to work for or do they want to buy a house with me now that I'm like showing every negative part of me too you know it's almost like you have to be your own PR person that's what I kind of see it as is like a filter you have to have a boundary that you're setting with yourself and your advertising because it used to be that it would go through more people to get approved for like a commercial or something like that. But when social media brings in the same traffic sometimes, and it's not always positively reflecting your business, that can really be something that you're doing damage control on. And I've experienced yeah. that and it's yeah. not easy. So I'm sure HR again has another element of that that can actually protect not only a typical CEO that, you know, does business, but a but an influencer CEO, because there's a lot of them and there's a mm -hmm. lot of those questions of how do I marry the two and keep my business alive and incredible and with amazing reviews still, <laughs> even though yeah. you're at the forefront of your business every day. Yeah, and I think that there's no I mean, I hate to say that there's no right answer, but I do know that there's a wrong answer. Right. And it kind of goes back. We talk about this thing called toxic flexibility okay. where we're pushed up against a wall of like what you mentioned earlier. Like you were like, I don't really care how much time you take off as long as you're getting the work done that you need to get done. And I think that most of us feel that way in our generation and we yeah. want to be a different kind of boss. Right. Um, but what's happened with some businesses and some CEOs is that they've gone so far over that they're not always getting the worth that they need for the yeah. investment that they're paying for their team. And it's not because it's not the team member's fault. And so taking radical ownership of what we need to do and the structure that we need to provide in order to be able to confidently say, as long as you got your stuff done, you're good to go. Right. Um, I had this conversation with a, I, you know, I run multiple businesses. So with my in-person business here in San Diego yesterday with my operations manager, and she was like, Hey, can I have Friday off? I know it's really short notice. I'm supposed to ask a month in advance. We have friends coming into town. Um, but I wanted to let you know that we have multiple managers in the office. My stuff is going to be covered and done. I might stay a couple hours late tomorrow. 
but it would be awesome to be able to have Friday off and just kind of spend this time. And I was like, you answered all my questions. Your stuff's right. going to be done. I, you know what that stuff is. I can go in our project management system and make sure it's done. We have supervision at the building, which means that nobody's going to be bothering, bothering me on my birthday weekend. Cause that freaking matters. Right. <laughs> um, and the other thing is just making sure that it means something to them. You know, it's not just something that's thrown out the window. Cause last week we had a request for somebody that has a bunch of time off coming up because of their wedding, which was hundred percent approved. No questions asked. That's not not the type of thing we're worried about right, um, right they have maybe two or three weekends off and two or three weeks off for their right. wedding and honeymoon and all that and by all means we will not contact you right have a great time like you know we can plan around and all that good stuff but when then they come in and they're like i kind of just feel like i need friday off to like you know feel a little bit better they were only working for four hours right it was one right. of those situations where i was like like you know if you really need it for your mental health absolutely take it and go put it on the calendar, but know right. that you have a lot of time off coming up and I'd prefer you didn't. Right. And that conversation, instead of like, yeah, I mean, I guess like the employee is going to be like, okay, well now I have the day off, but now I'm worried about it. So I'm yes. just going to go in and now we don't have an open discussion. So we're trying to be this flexible person, but we're not actually standing behind it because we don't have those policies to fall back on. Right. So being able to say, listen, we've got a three week, uh, every summer min maximum for how much time you can take off. You're maxing it out. Do you really need the day? It takes them a second and then they're like, yeah, you're right. I got it. Like right. I will, they'll, they're not going to get much out of that time anyways, but your employees will push against you. And as CEOs, we can't imagine that mindset yes. because we're like, obviously I'm going to work on Sunday and fix right. my <laughs> exactly. but, you know, I'm like, why, so why would challenge, you not be you at know? an open house on a Sunday afternoon? Like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's something to being able to give people this opportunity of, I know that you're going to be successful. I'm going to look at the data of all our most successful agents. Right. And Every single one of those agents hits 2.5 open houses every single month or every single at four Sundays out of the month, 2.5 on average. You need to do that. Where's yeah. your average right now? Right. Is it at four? Cause you've done one every Sunday this year, then hell yeah. Take the time off. Exactly. And not only do you then not have to resent it, but you're also taking some information and some data to actually remove that from a concern that you have for your own mental health. Because at the end of the day, that resentment comes from not being able to care for ourselves and not being yes. able to pour from a full cup. Yes. And what you said about vulnerability really hit because there's like, I don't really want to show up on social media and cry every day, mostly because I'm not a really hot crier. But <laughs> at the end of the day, my vulnerability is going to be like, I absolutely fucked up with this employee. Like right. I did a really bad job dealing with this situation. I dropped the ball in this and I'm going to tell this story because it matters to the business owners that follow me and it's vulnerability in a way that's professional and direct and straightforward right. and not to get like fully into like the nitty-gritty of building a company culture but that is what's in your handbook if you right. just have what your absence policy is your vacations your benefits whatever in your employee handbook and you don't have something about your brand voice and your brand values and like what the hell you're building and why then there's no why behind the what and yes. our job is not to be the what it's to be the why yes. so being able to sh that's a really good quote i should write that, that is down. a really but, good uh, <laughs> quote because now i'm like okay like that makes sense and so yeah. then you're able to be like, is this a what task or is this a why is task? This a why task? So yes, you do need to hand off the task, but tell them why. And that's going to create longevity in that delegation versus just, oh, you've got four free hours. Here's four hours worth of tasks. Like right. nobody wants to do that. Right. That's the difference between an employee and a contractor too. Your contractor wants those four hours. Your employee wants that meaning. Yes. And so being able objective. to show up for them like that is really hard, but it is, it's very vulnerable. This conversation had so many moments of vulnerability, like talking about yelling at your team, 
like, yeah. there's so many things that you said that I'm like, show up like that. Like, that's the vulnerability that people are going to learn from and want to see and feel connected to. Yeah. I was just like nodding my head the whole time, like a hundred percent in my brand to be like, I screamed at my employee on accident. Right, right. No, that's But true. I'm down to talk that's about true. it. <laughs> but, but it's like, I mean, you like exactly what you said, surrounding yourself with people going through similar situations. When I talk to CEOs yeah. who are also moms, and I, mm-hmm. that we talk about childcare and like how we're balancing everything, all this stuff. I instantly feel so much better after it because I'm like, I'm not alone in this. I'm not just like in my own head, like feeling guilty every day and like feeling like I'm doing this wrong and that wrong and whatever. Like the things that you said, like it's okay to not apologize if you're not wrong in that situation. You can explain why. And having, when you said having the knowledge to be able to say like you did the research and you're like well here's why I'm upset here's why I'm happy with you here's why this needs to be you know shifted or pivoted um and here's why this is going to benefit you as an employee it's like those are all the things that that will help them to understand your objective because if you're just shouting out the objective it's not going to compute yeah. Yeah. And especially when you lay that foundation of, of what your culture is, what you stand for, what you represent, what your values are, you're bringing people in that are reflective of that. Right. So you're not going to get the people that aren't going to respond to that kind of leadership. And being able to find that connection with somebody that really shares those values with you, that's where my job got complicated that I didn't anticipate, is that not everybody wants the same culture. And yeah. I was walking into this from a, such a homogenous viewpoint of like, this is what a culture should look and feel like because I have PTSD from burnout. Right. Right, but really, right. there's so many different ways to build co- like really awesome company cultures that reflect your goals for your business. But you can't really do one without the other. That's why downloading an employee handbook doesn't do crap for you. Yes. You are held to a bunch of contracts and standards that you don't understand. It's going to get you in more trouble than if you didn't have one at all. Absolutely. So don't do it. Unless we write it custom. for you, just stay away from it. Customize <laughs> your, your yeah. handbook. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm totally, totally on board with that. Well, I learned so much today. Like this was so valuable for me and we will definitely be connecting on your podcast next. So can you share the name of your podcast, where we can follow you, everything? Yeah, for sure. So um, I've been trying to do more Instagram. So I'm on Instagram at The Paradigm with two M's. Our company is called Paradigm People Operations Consulting. And our podcast is called On the Up and Up. And that's where we do a lot of these leadership lessons, these big discussions. And that's why I can't wait to have you on to talk about your experience as a manager and a leader, especially amongst the real estate, like the whole industry. It's such a unique and different industry. And I actually have some operations knowledge there. So we'll be able to have a super deep conversation. But yeah, so it's On the Up up because it's like we're on the up and up with our businesses we're growing we're climbing all of that good stuff we're also on the up and up like we're legal we're legit like yes. we got our shit together, so. oh I have the chills really I fun. love that you're legit <laughs> like that is what we need in this world is some legit people who really know their shit and that they can listen and say okay like this person's gone through it you've experienced it and here's the knowledge I can now share to help you. And that's exactly what you're doing. So yeah. I really, really appreciate you coming on because this was super, super helpful. And I just I just feel like I'm in a totally different headspace now. I'm like, I can take on the that's world awesome. now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we like to call that around here, you know, the evolution of confidence. But yes. like, I'm not trying to <laughs> The evolution of confidence. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. I love you guys. Please rate this episode because this was a great one. Leave your review. We'd really appreciate it. Have an amazing day. Bye. (laughs)